listening to the OKest Fisher Podcast, part of the OKest Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Welcome back to the OKest Fisher Podcast, coming at you from the basements again as usual. How we doing, Matt? We're here, man, hanging in. What's up with you? Oh, getting ready for the Florida trip. Uh, tying some tinsel jigs. Going to try these for some ocean critters. Uh, they're catching bonita. They're catching uh, Spanish mackerel. I don't know. See what else we can uh, we can catch on it, or it'll just look cool looking, you know, darting through the water, and maybe I won't catch anything on it. But it'll be fun, fun to try something I made. Yeah, I could bring it back and fish for some walleye too. You bet. What have you been up to? Not much, man. Just busy working, working, working. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the the general <laughs> the general thing, the day to day. So we got a guest with us today. It's kind of nice. You don't people don't have to listen to the two of us banter and bullshit the entire time. So who do we have with us today, Matt? Uh, we have Pat, and I'm probably still going to butcher it, even though 20 seconds ago we just talked about it. But Pat Keem correct yes sir so pat uh tell us a little bit about yourself um i uh best way to put it would be an expert fish bum i would say Um, a river rat if you will otherwise um half of the year the salmon and steelhead guide tributaries specifically everything's on foot that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it's um, it is awesome for sure, and um, it's one of those things where everybody really that's not familiar with doing it at all, but has been curious. They're used to what you know, a salmon charter on the lake, pay six hundred, seven hundred bucks with four or five of your buddies. Um. So it's a, a whole heck of a lot different than that. And you're catching the same fish. For the most part, all just as edible too, except for those fall Chinook. But, uh, um, and a, a whole lot different tackle too, which I'm sure I'll get into in the next hour. Oh, you, you better believe you're going to get into it. <laughs> right. I, I, for the most part, assume so. So this time of year, typically... You're in the tributaries. Uh, we're not asking to, you to give out secret spots or anything like that, but you're you're targeting steelhead, correct? Yeah, um, right now. It, like, just got going. Um, but all winter long, too, really. There's a lot of brown trout fishing to be done through pretty much from November all the way. There's still brown trout loaded up in the river right now. Um, the water's still cold. We've been catching steelhead pretty good through the winter. Um, And uh, just up until about three weeks ago, we got the first rain. And there was a nice um, nice little push of of some fresh silverfish showed up. And for a little bit there, a few days, it kind of seemed like they were never there to begin with. And then just uh, today, today was pretty incredible. Um, And the last few days as well slowly kind of going from just brown trout mostly to a 50-50 mix of fresh rainbows and some colored rainbows from over the winter still were colored up and 
it's hard to tell if those, those are still fish hanging out from the winter, but a whole heck of a lot of bright silver fish today. It was nice, but it was wet and rainy and cold, but that's what steelhead fishing is anyway. So do you find that the, the rain is what drives them to come in? Yes. hundred percent. Um, there's other things too. If they don't get, you know, it's do or die if they don't get any rain or they don't get the flow they're, they're waiting for or looking for. So they will come in no matter what. For springtime, too, you get a lot of early fish, whether the water's cold or warm. But once that water starts to get that above 40, they, they'll start to really just keep coming so long as there's, you know, all the way through the end of April, so long as there's more fish to keep coming. They'll just keep coming and trading spots on beds and spawning until the, the river's too warm. Do we get a lot of natural reproduction, do you think, out of out of the tribs? We get zero. Um, up in uh, Door County, there's a little bit, I guess. There's uh, quite a bit over on the east shore of the lake, though, Michigan. Um, I believe it's the Pier Marquette River, Manistee Platte, or the Grand, perhaps. Um, they see a pretty good amount of natural reproduction, though. We don't get any at all. Southeastern Wisconsin, it's just a tiny bit in Door County. Um, for the most part, that's about all I know for sure. Outside of the fact that we have zero re- natural reproduction, it's completely stocked fish. Sure. You think it's just due to our water quality that it just it's so poor that it, that you yeah. just don't? Yeah, it's it's just. A lot of sediment, um, our rivers get, you know, very warm and, uh, other than that, I mean, I think a lot of our fish could be sterile too from the hatchery, but, um, they certainly spawn, they certainly deposit eggs. They, you know, do the whole song and dance, but, um, they keep stocking every year. I think a few different times a year too. Um, and uh, within the last few years, man, those uh, we had stocking cutbacks in the last few years. We're starting to see some of those, um, those bigger numbers showing up again from uh, all the cutbacks. And last spring was pretty, pretty insane. And, and I'm expecting this spring to be even, even bigger. Sure. What uh, what size fish can you expect to catch? You know, when we're talking a brown trout in in one of the tribs, a brown trout. I mean, it all kind of depends. It's a, it's a year class thing. Um, they don't stock Germans anymore. We're um, just getting Ellens with whatever odd stragglers of Germans are left over, which I'm sure are quite a few. They they you know, have a good long lifespan up to 10, 11, 12 years. Um, it's like typically the Cephorellans will grow larger. They, they spend more of their time outside of the migrating into the rivers for, you know, feeding purposes or spawning. They, um, 
they spend a lot of their time offshore as the German brown trout kind of prefer warmer water outside of migrating. Um, but they most they mostly get about the same size on average, anywhere from six pounds on the low end to 10 pounds in that six to 10 pound range for your, your average. Um, we regularly see 10 to 15 pound fish fairly often. So do those, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say we see, I don't know about often, but we see up in the twenties to 25 pounders at, at least, at least a handful a season. Sure. I have not caught one that big. I think my personal best is right at 14. Still a respectable fish either way. Oh, yeah. So now do the, do the brown trouts, is like that brown trout steelhead, do they kind of run at the same time, or is it just coincidental they're coming up at the same time, or how does that work? It's um, kind of different. We have several different strains of steelhead, and um, – we get a, well, one of them, they stop stocking as well, but they kind of replace that with the Scamania strain stocking program. So we'll get those fish coming in the river while the kings are still spawning. It, it may not be very many of them, but they're in there eating king eggs. Um, but to get those those German brown trout, which are typically the ones that come in early, late fall, um, the water does need to cool off a little bit, like touching down past, you know, 45 to 50 or so 55 degrees. We'll start seeing, seeing brown trout, but you know, as warm as 68 degrees in that late fall, if it's still going through September where it's 85 degrees outside during the day, we'll get steelhead too. You won't see any numbers of browns you, you might come across one here or there typically a small one um but those brown trout are coming in to spawn and those steelhead that are coming in early are pretty much just coming in to feed as heavily as possible and likely stick around until they do wind up spawning whether it be over the winter or the spring but sea frill and strain brown trout they won't come in until it's uh you know more full winter mode in that mid-december around christmas the new year and they'll spawn all the way up until about now as all the fish we're seeing now are all spawned out brown trout that are just hanging around eating as heavy as they can before they take back off to the lake for the rest of the the warm months Cool. So, do you? Um... And there's, there's no. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say there's no reels between those browns besides fin clips, and kind of just you know the time of the season you you come across them. Sure. So do you do you target them both the same way? Like if you're gonna go out on a guide, um, you're not throwing a certain lure for a brown trout, a certain lure for a steelhead. You're you're basically catching them both on the same product, correct? Just about anything that you would take down to the river to fish for brown trout or steel. Yeah, there's there's no certain times of the season are a little bit better for one or the other. 
but it's mainly just spawn bags, egg presentations. Some guys like to cast spinners. Some guys like to use crankbaits and both of the brown trout steel that are like, they like to eat all of those things just about any time of the year or season rather. They're getting in and they're hungry. So what's your primary uh, lure then? Do you run spawn on floats or? Yeah. Steelhead beads too. Um, but just, just about anything that um, resembles an egg pattern, mostly fresh brown trout eggs. Uh, but you could use, you know, any fresh eggs as far as Chinook, Coho, or fresh rainbow eggs. They like all of them. But they really, really all seem to prefer fresh brown trout eggs over everything. So do you tie your own spawn sacks or do you go to a bait shop and get them? Um, I tie my own. Um, we used to be able to, you still can, but it's not what it you know was. But <clears throat> years ago, we used to be able to have fresh brown trout eggs available at the, all the local tackle shops around. But uh, nowadays you can get spawn bags at most of the tackle shops, but they're coming from, whatever farms and you know they're cured whatever way and you know the tackle shops that are selling them don't know what they're cured with but curing versus fresh is a pretty big thing um time and place for cured eggs versus fresh eggs i don't really cure any of my eggs at all really Except for Chinook, yeah, my Chinook eggs for fishing, um, skein chunks for fall Chinook in the river. Other than that, I, I everything stays fresh, doesn't get any sort of cure, nothing. Um, tie them up and, and fish them, pretty much. As fresh as you can get them out of the fish, you know. Wow. They have a pretty surprisingly long shelf life with um, being fresh. Uh if you package them right, you know, take care of them, they can be frozen indefinitely. Sure. So if you were to get get some, um, how would you go about preserving them right off the bat? Would you, do you rinse them? Do you just keep them dry in paper towel, damp paper towel, refrigerated? What's, what's the method there? You know, keep them cold straight out of the fish until they either get tied and fished or ultimately into the freezer. Um, freezing them is kind of a part of the process to cure your eggs too. And like you said, a little bit of air drying and then freezing them. Otherwise air dry them, keep them cold in the fridge, which a lot of times they have a pretty long shelf life in the fridge as well. But I also have had batches of eggs kind of, you know, maybe five or six days, six or seven days start to get a little funky. And, um, I'll fish those too. Like I'll, you know, I'll really let them go. If uh, they're getting funky, I'll still fish them until they're really bad. And then, you know, um, however, in Wisconsin, we're allowed to milk loose. They were allowed to milk 
loose, loose fish and release them. And you're allowed to keep five fish per day per angler. And if you milk a fish and take eggs for bait and you release it, it counts as one fish towards your daily bag limit. So you're allowed to milk five fish. You can get five fish worth of bait. And uh, so obviously you're not going to fish all that. So that's where the freezing comes in. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it's not like you want to keep five brown trout all the time anyway. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've not had the best experience eating brown trout out of the big lake or, or the tribs. Um, you know, the smaller stream browns are a different story just because they're smaller. Right. Right. The, the uh, younger uh, lake fish, the more silver ones you find, are pretty good eating. Um, but the, the bigger that they get and, you know, you're catching them out of, out of the river – which uh, I don't really think has much to do with whether they taste good or not. But it's a fish that's just generally better off put back no matter what. But there's a lot of people that like eating them no matter what. Uh, spawning or, you know, five pounds versus 20 pounds. Um, people love to smoke them. Uh, not for me. But we'll we'll catch them occasionally coho fishing, and, and they're delicious when they're, you know, Legal is 10 inches, and they're delicious anywhere from 2 to 6 pounds or so. Nice and silver and, and chrome out in the lake. Coming out of pretty generally cold water most of the time. Say 50 to 65 degrees or so. Um, but it's nice to be able to uh, let those big fish go and still be able to get bait because there's not a whole lot of other places in the the Great Lakes, I think Ontario you're allowed to, but most of the other Great Lakes, I know over Michigan, I don't think you're allowed to take loose eggs from a fish and release it. You have to release the fish or harvest the fish entirely. But they also don't have brown trout over there. It's just steelhead, so it's the fish are pretty good eating. What's your biggest steelhead you caught out of the river? I have no idea, actually. That's a question I get asked pretty often, and I actually have no clue. Um, I don't think it's quite as big as my brown trout at all, but um, I have on a trip, on an ice fishing trip that I was doing last winter, a client of mine caught a 36 and a quarter. Um, we don't know how much it weighed. I think we took a length and a girth and it was somewhere in the realm of 12 and change, but that didn't seem right to me at all. Um, it's a 36 and a half inch steelhead. That's a long fish. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a fish that I never thought that I would actually lay my, my own two eyes on in the flesh, uh, you know, 12 years I've seen one other guy get one in the river that I fish in mainly. It was 37, and that fish was all of 16 pounds, 17 possibly. And that's when I was like, I don't know if I'll ever see one. Yeah, that's a big one. Those are kind of rare up in that realm. Yeah. Um, 
If I, I I wanted to guess that that fish was fourteen pounds. It had it had dropped half of its its belly worth of eggs before we caught it. Hmm. And twelve twelve and change just did not seem right to me. And what sucks with these trout is is the photos never do any any justice for their actual size. Oh, it's it almost, just, it doesn't matter what you do. It's almost like you need a cameraman <laughs> with an expensive camera there to get like the right angle and everything for you. Even even then, even then, um, even then, it's it's still really hard. That's why a lot of people will argue over the the internet about um, you know someone who posted a photo of a fish that claimed to be seventeen pounds, and yeah, we all know that one. Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right. Well, we could shift gears a little bit and and get into gear. Um, you know, for a guy that's wanting to get into this, or even you know, like your guide clients, what is a common setup that you would put in the hands of somebody going out fishing the way you do? What kind of rod and um, combo? Well, what I would say first off is to make sure that you have a good cell phone that you keep charged all the time, unlike myself, where um free here. But you always want to have all that, that good charge on your phone to, you know, take all your photos of your fish that aren't going to do it justice anyways. So um, I'm going to plug it in here. <laughs> and... Um, I gotta. I'm gonna unplug my headphones, so hopefully, okay. I can still hear you guys. Um, I'm sorry for experiencing here the technical difficulty, but we'll uh, continue talking about gear here. You guys still hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Oh, I think I got both you guys too without the headphones, which is fantastic. Great. You still there, Matt? Yep, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you too. Perfect. Anyways, so if I were to recommend a rod and a reel, I mean, these days, these days, um, guys really like to use, um, they're really into, I, I basically was taught, I was brought up doing this just about, there's old school guys around still these days, but there really is not that many. Um, people really like to winch on these fish a lot, and, and that's not how I do it. The way I do it, I wouldn't really suggest to somebody that was just trying to get into the sport. Um, so in in which case, I would recommend something a bit heavier, maybe in the 10-6 range. Um for a float rod you can get away with the 962 and um fish something more along the lines of uh a medium medium light moderate um if you ask me the noodle and moderate aspect of the rod is pretty important whether you're fishing something heavier or lighter i fish noodle rods i fish anything from a two to four pound to a six to 12 being on the heavier end. Um, most of my rods are 13, 13, six, but I fish a lot of 11, sixes too. 
Um, but that's for fishing line as light as four pound test line line as light as four pound test for your main line for your fluorocarbon leader, which we'll probably get into as well. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't recommend that to someone who's never done it before with a 13 and a half foot rod. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Mm-hmm. On the shorter end is going to be something easier for someone to get used to. Some people like uh, clients of mine, you know, the learning curve is, is um, conquered pretty quickly, but then a lot of people have, they struggle a bit more. And typically I will bring my 10 sixes for them to use, but I'll always have a longer rod because a lot of times when they're struggling with it, I'll be like, here, use this 13 and a half. And then all of a sudden it's like, they get it, you know, the extra rod for all that line control and setting the hook and keeping tight with the fish when they set the hook instead of, you know, a little bit shorter. I I see it happen. I can't quite grasp exactly. Um, Missing the hook set with a a rod that's 10 and a half foot long versus 13 and a half foot long. Um, You know, it's just bobber goes under, you swing on them and just you have so much rod, whether it's 10 and a half or 13, there, there shouldn't really be granted that it's a windier day. Keeping all that line management and control of the slack should be about the easiest thing in the world with a rod that's even nine and a half foot long too, but it's tough um, for someone who's learning to learn, you know, as quick as possible. So it's good. Like I said, it's kind of a, a tough, a tough one. You know, it's, you're going to have to go and get your rods and go fishing until you hook one and figure out if that's what you're comfortable with or not. Or you can come and fish with me or anyone else, (laughs) (laughs) namely myself. And I always can do my absolute best to try and get you as comfortable as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's, um, that's part of it is is getting. Clients, it's not. It's tough. Yeah, if you've never done it, if you you know, and I've I've seen other guides in the area, um, you know, they, yeah, they're ready to leave their their clients at the dock because they're mad at them because they've they can't hook a fish, you know. So I got to believe that's also kind of a challenge in itself someday too to just deal with certain personalities. It's very very challenging. Um, it's, um, basically what I say, it's like, no matter the fishing is good or the fishing is bad, it's always stressful one way or another. And that's definitely one thing. Um, but a lot of people do pick it up pretty quickly, but having such a long rod when you've never used it. Is very foreign to a lot of people. It's intimidating, rather. So the the main purpose for using the log rod, I mean, I've done a fair bit of fishing on, you know, the tributaries. Um, when you're running a float, you're not bombardier casting it to the other side because you want to keep that slack line out of the water, correct? That's the main reason for running a longer rod? Yes, definitely. Um, but we, we do 
And lately I've had a lot of situations where we're making really long casts. Um, I don't typically like to put my, my people in situations like that if I can help it. And most of the time I can, because I, I have no issue bombing a 13, six, you know, clear 35, 40 yards across the river and maintaining that, that opposite bank through the whole drift and setting the hook, you know, that far away, especially once it's already 35, 40 yards across. And then all of a sudden it's 25, 30, 35 yards down from you too. Um, but that is where those rods that are longer than 10 and a half foot, where your 11 sixes up to your 13 sixes. And even in some cases, I mean, I could talk about noodle rods all day long. And like I had said, when, when we started talking about it, I'm old school. Nobody uses 13 foot rods anymore. Um, some guys do, um, for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, I like using light line and I like using whatever I can to get away with it. But I will put a little bit heavier line in, in customers' hands just to make sure, you know, as quick as you can say, don't horse it, you know, that fish snaps off. Sure. It happens all the time too. So. So are you, are you coupling that rod with a, a conventional reel or are you running a center pin? Uh, what's your, preference when it comes to that i pre i prefer i prefer spinning tackle i um i had all of my time with uh center pin float reels and all that and it wasn't for me i um a lot of guys like to uh use bait casting outfits these days also not for me um neither of those have dread and that's really important for me <laughs> i need to hear screaming real I, I i don't you know want silence when it comes to a a hot steelhead there is something to that's be whooping your ass yeah. you know i need that sound that drag yeah that's part of the experience to hear that drag singing <laughs> right um it's a little more difficult as far as um you know maybe a longer drift or somebody getting used to it or trying to get used to it quickly because you're flipping the bale open, you know, every few seconds. And um, if you're if you're paying line to your float on a long drift, the last thing you want to do is have your bale open for the, the whole drift. Because once that bobber goes down, almost no one's quick enough to flip that bale over real tight and set the hook. Um, so that's where your center pin reels come in handy, where you can keep tight with that the whole time. And you're not flipping over a bale every few seconds. It's like, it's, you know, second nature. Cover goes under. It's, you know, split second. Blink of an eye. As quick as you can react with the rod. Sure. Do you have a, a size preference on your spinning reels? 2,000, 3,000 series, somewhere in there? 2,500. 2,500. Um, I'll put the 3,000s on the, the bigger 12.5, 13.5-foot rods. Um, otherwise, most of the 2,500-size reels that you um, that are available all have just plenty of drag, 
for these fish. Um, you really don't need much, much more than, you know, 17 to 20 pounds worth of drag in a reel. Um, where it kind of falls behind sometimes is the lower gear ratios because they'll charge you. You'll set the hook on a fish and the second you come tight with it, it's, it's screaming towards your feet. Sure. It happened to me just today a couple of times and I couldn't keep up with the first one and it fell off. Um, I found the uh, gear ratio problem is easy, easily solved if you can look for a 2,500 size reel with a 6.2 to 1 gear ratio. Um, 5.2 1s are fine, but they're a little slow when it comes to something like that. It happens. Yeah. Do you have a particular model brand in mind that you really enjoy running all the time? I am um, actually kind of in between at the moment because uh, Fluger, which was my preferred for years, um, just a regular Fluger President 2500. Really can't go wrong. Can't beat the price, but they are nothing like what they used to be. They're they don't last nearly as long. I, I get the last couple of years. I had presidents go out on me in under a year. Um, I'm fixing a lot of reels, <laughs> which is great because you know I. Um, know how to fix pretty much just about anything on them. They're, for the most part, pretty straightforward. But I uh, would say President, uh, Fluger President. I will still go with the, the Fluger President XTs, which are a little more pricey in the, the 80 to $90 range. I think 80 to 100 for the 3000 series. But they got higher gear ratio. They pick up line nice and fast. And they got, I think, 23 to 25 pounds of drag, which, like I said, isn't super important. The first one I got was, like I said, a little pricey. Um, but I really only got about a solid year out of it before it started to really, everything kind of got beat up on pretty good and get loose, fail spring, which I know how to fix now. And everybody told me that if your bail spring goes, it's just time to get a new reel. <laughs> Not true, but, you know, I don't want to be, you know, sitting around repairing reels all the time. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck right now um, with where I want to go from that without breaking the bank too much. Um, so but beyond that, I don't really have an answer for that, unfortunately, because I'm still working on it. Gotcha. <laughs> So let's, uh, you want to dive into like maybe the generic of what's a float rig? Uh, how do you tie it up? Do you, where do you put your bead? If you're running a bead, kind of give the listeners, um, a rundown if they never even heard of a float rig before for the tributary. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, this is, uh, this is where it all comes down to what seems to be, you know, Upon first glance, like, wow, you know, bobber fishing, I've been doing that since I was a kid, no problem. And most people, you know, I, and I'll have people say that to me too, you know, this is bobber fishing. I thought this was going to be so much more, you know, easy to pick up. And 
really it, it is, but it's the smallest things that make everything and the smallest things that most people don't realize until they put, you know, all of this time in. But you've got your slip float rigs, you've got fixed floats, which is what I mainly use. I mean, the rivers we fish, we're not a whole lot of stuff where you're fishing much deeper than anywhere from three and a half to five and a half foot or so on average. Um, sorry about that, guys. I had a call come in. Anyways, we're talking about float setup, right? Yes. Yep. Um, I don't like using a slip float rig because it takes longer to set up. I use everything with a fixed float, and you could pretty much all of the steelhead bobbers come in in um, in grams for weights and sizes. If you wanted to get away with something that you could use all around, just about everywhere you go, about eight gram float. And these steelhead bobbers are fixed to the line with um, surgical tubing, um, be one thirty second and one sixty fourth for the top and the bottom, and that will the surgical tubing will peg your flow to the line, and you can slide it up and down on your line. So it's not a slip float where it's moving through the bobber but you can adjust your depth just by sliding the bobber up and down, similar to the way a, a slip float would move on the line as well. Except you move it to that, that position on the line, it stays there. And um, from there, I mean, I should say bobbers being fixed to your main line, which some guys will run braided line um, I mostly run monofilament because it's cold in the winter. Um, <laughs> it's uh, one of those things that braid just doesn't do well with um, anything, even 33 to 34 degrees outside. Um, I run six to eight. Most of the time it's a six pound main line for your, your, um, your, your longer rods in the 12 and a half and up range getting down to the 10, 10 and a half, nine and a half and 10 and a half. So I'll run eight and, and even 10 pounds sometimes, but, um, I will run up to 12 early in, uh, early in the fall or late in the fall, rather, sorry. When, um, the water's still a little warm. And you're still kind of fishing for kings, but you're getting steelhead because those fish are uh, those fish are fresh, and they will rival just about any battle with any other steelhead the rest of the season that you come across, and they'll snap you off pretty fast. But aside from that main line, for the rest of the season, I'll I'll run that lighter stuff, but I I don't like to run anything for my leader. Um, not much heavier than six pound. I pretty much will get away with the six pound fluorocarbon leader, which you're attaching to your main line below your float with a barrel swivel, a two way. And it's got to be a good one too. If it doesn't like to, you know, if it, if it's not very good, you're going to wind up twisting your main line and everything is going to be 
you're gonna have line popping off of the front of your reel after a couple of fish because it's the monofilament stretches um so you always want to make sure that your barrel swivel is quality and operates the way it should um and of course your split shot's always just going to be matched with the weight of your float so you got to have an eight gram float you're going to have eight grams worth of lead some guys like to spread that out on their main line and in a pattern rather from where their float is down their main line to their barrel swivel, which will keep your line moving through the water column as it's drifting just about as vertically as it can possibly be. And um, I don't, I don't typically do that. I don't run into a lot of situations that I feel called for it because whether you're using fresh trout eggs that are tied in mesh or you're using a single steelhead bead, they're all neutrally buoyant. And it's going to get down, whether you're running a two feet lead or you're running a four foot lead, which all of that kind of comes with your water clarity. You can run a short leader when it's dirty. When it gets clear, you want to run a longer leader. So I stack all of my split shot just about all the way um, down to my barrel swivel. Sometimes I'll have it a little bit higher up depending on how long my leader is, but I'll typically run about three and a half foot um, of fluorocarbon to a size six hook from the barrel swivel. And I won't put any lead shot on the, the leader. That makes sense. Cause... Um, I mean, that all gets down on its own just fine. Sure. Well, and it's good to not nick the leader. I keep everything on the main line, yeah. Especially when it's really, really clear water, which we have a lot of through the through the um, steelhead and brown trout season, especially in the winter. In which case, a lot of times I'll find myself running up to four, four and a half feet of fluorocarbon, and I'll even downsize that size six hook down to an eight, even ten and twelve. Sometimes depends. Um, not a lot of situations where I find myself tying on size 12 hooks but size 10 for sure so when you uh when you run just a spawn sack do you run a bead with it too or does a bead a separate different ball game it it all depends on how you feel they're reacting to your presentation um there's a lot of changing you can you know spend anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour fishing with just a spawn bag um, maybe maybe catch a fish or two within an hour and you know all of a sudden it's like well i i would have imagined i would have caught more fish in the last 45 minutes after those first two what should i do differently some some guys will peg a bead with the spawn sack just a you know about an inch and a half two inches above the hook um and fish that for, I mean, when I do those things and I make these changes, um, I'll, I'll fish, I'll fish certain things like a, a spawn bag with a bead, 15, 20 minutes. Am I going to get one bite? Am I going to get none? If I get, you know, no bites, 15, 20 minutes, bead comes off or spawn bag comes off and the other stays that gets fished for 15, 20 minutes and I'll, 
between those two or three things, one of them gets a fish, and then you can kind of build from there. Some guys will run their beads in tandem too, so they're running two different patterns or colors of beads where they can kind of pattern out which one they're taking, the top one or the bottom one, and go from there. Um, as far as detail goes, it's it's very uh, very detail orientated, which makes it tough. But um, it's it's hard to explain exactly um, without being able to you know have the rod and show you what you're doing. Basically, it's just like yeah, you can fish a bead or you can fish a spawn bag. <laughs> you can fish jigs. You could you know drift all sorts of flies under a float as well and whatnot. Uh, I, I personally like to keep things as simple as possible. So I'm, you know, one or the other switch until you get a bite. So now we covered tackle and stuff like that. What's the, what are the, what are you looking for? Like feature wise on the tributaries or on a river? Are you looking above a ripple current? Are you looking below? Are you, you got any certain thing you're keeping an eye on or what you're targeting or throwing at? That that all kind of depends um, for people that may fish differently um, outside of float fishing. But really, for the most part, um, for, for betting fish, because like we talked about earlier, this, this whole fishery is, is entirely stocked. They're not spawning successfully, so it's really not a big deal to me like it is in other places you know that see that natural reproduction and they, they will close off those sections of the rivers uh to, to to fishing while they're spawning or it's fly only but um for me and the way i fish we're just fishing deep slow holes from from fall to the end of spring you know Sometimes you'll find some fish that will be betting in a in the tail out of a deep hole, and you'll get your fish above it or above the tail out where those fish are actively spawning. And then sometimes you'll drift through that deep hole without a bite, and you'll come tight with one of those fish that is fanning a bed or, you know, protecting a bed rather. Usually it's one female and there's a bunch of males around, or it's just a pair. One of them's going to bite typically. And since they're, you know, like kings, the Chinook die when they're finished spawning, uh, brown trout and steelhead do not. So while they're spawning, they're still actively, actively, you know, in need of food. So I got you guys still? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yep. So any other any other tips you can think of uh, for first-timers trying to get out there besides calling a guide? Um, I mean, that's obviously an option, too. Somebody just wants to grab a rod and go ahead to the tribs to try to go fish? Yeah. That's the, just about in the long and short exactly what I was going to say. You know, I um, pretty much was going to say whether you don't, whether you have a float rod or you don't, or you will be, you get one. Um, fish with what you can. Uh, when I started doing this, I, I fished with just about nothing but a walleye rod and a spinner. Um, yeah, a lot of guys getting into it are intimidated by the fact that they don't have access to fresh spawn and 
can't catch a, a right female to get it themselves. And when they do, they don't know what to do with it. It's just, you're going to meet people along the way, no matter what to, you're going to learn things. It's just really boils down to spending time on the water and as much of it as you can. Um, you don't learn those fine details and all of those things unless you're spending as much possible time on the rivers at the right time as you possibly can. And the long and short, that's really, really the most important part of it that it, it boils down to is just, you got to get out there and learn by doing whether you know or don't. Absolutely. Everything else comes with time. It's, it's really very, very, uh, it's tough, you know, it's tough. I've ruined a lot of, uh, batches of eggs over the years, learning how to do it myself. Um, that's going to happen. Yeah, just screw some things up to learn some things, you know, so. That's part of life. Right. Absolutely. And so is, you know, fishing too deep and snapping your, your hook off on the bottom or accidentally follow hooking a fish with the spinner. It happens. But uh, you're going to learn from those things regardless. And like I said before, you're going to meet a lot of people along the way that are willing to help you and give you tips and things versus, you know, other people you run into that really don't care to tell you anything because they're just mad that you're, you know, fishing their hole. So don't let it bother you. You just, you know, you just got to keep fishing. It's time. Where can people find I, you? Um, I do have a uh, TikTok presence too, but it's really mainly just, I mean, it's every bit of fishing that I do on there, but there's no contact through that. Sure. Um, I wasn't um, really doing too well with the website that I had. Um, I was still getting all of my my uh, traffic through social media, so I kind of just stuck with that. I, I don't have the website up at, at all anymore. I don't think I even own the domain. I may make another website, but Facebook and Instagram is really that easy for everyone. And... Uh, by far easiest for me. I, I had no idea what I was doing when it came to maintaining a website. <laughs> so um, direct message through either of those. Uh, my phone number is on both of those. Um, I am on Instagram as at Bobberslut. Um, maybe a little R-rated for the younger folks, but <laughs> it is Instagram. Otherwise, Facebook is just uh, PK fishing tours um and my personal is just my first and last name pat keem which is spelled k-i-e-h-m um my email that uh that i take um new you know new potentially new i get a lot of people that email and, and we get phone numbers from there um, that's all on my Facebook. I believe it's on my Instagram too, but really actually Facebook is probably just the easiest period, but I do get a lot of, uh, DMS on Instagram too. I follow up with everything as best as I can. I can only keep up 
so much. Um, cause I do get a lot of, I get a lot of people talking or sorry, messaging me. Um, and since my accounts are linked, the notifications for my, my business page, which is PK fishing tours, those notifications get lost because I have to switch between them on the smartphone. So I get the notifications for my personal account. No problem, but I won't get notifications. So I do my best. So I try to tell people to, you know, go through the socials, but call me. My phone number's there. Uh, text me. Anytime, you know, it could be midnight, one thirty in the morning. Shoot me a text, you know. And you still have, um, obviously, guide openings for the spring if people wanted to get a hold of you? All the way through the end of April. Um and I, I just a couple of days ago, I was just looking at my calendar and I was like, holy cow, we're halfway through March already. And I didn't even realize it, um, which is a good thing because it's going to keep our, hopefully going to keep our spring bite lasting longer. You know, um, we went all well into about the first week of May last season. Um, I will only personally do through just about the end of April because getting into that first week of May, first two weeks of May, there could be fish there. Um, probably a whole lot less than there was. There could be none. And, you know, I'm not going to take people past, you know, the end of April is even getting past the primest dates for spring steelhead. About right now is, and, and even just about getting close to, a, close to a month ago, not quite, but I would say we're just about around the corner from, if we can get some warm temps a little more consistently, we're going to see peak pretty soon, I would say. Cool. We've had a lot of water in the river, so we've had a lot of fish coming pretty consistently some of which have kind of started spawning too. Not many, but, but some. How many people can you accommodate on a guide trip? I, I cap out for three guys, three anglers. Um, three can be tough, but it's doable. Um, I prefer, you know, most of the time be like, if, if you want to, if you're looking to, you know, possibly hire me and you want to, bring a buddy like two guys come fishing with me then it's just three guys fishing and when you got four it's tough to you know i i want to be able to fish as much as i can but it, i'm obviously not going you know that's not my main concern there's situations that'll call for it um i can you know be more available at two guys, two anglers fishing, then I can be with three guys when two guys have bobbers in the trees that I told them not to cast into, you know, only maybe a couple of minutes before. And in some situations, the third guy is hooked up to a fish and I'm trying to tell him, hey, don't don't force it. And then he snaps it off. And then I'm retying that rod while the other two guys are still in the tree. 
<laughs> I got to stop doing what I'm doing there to get one out at least because I got to, I'm the only guy tying knots. Um, every now and again, I'll get some guys that, you know, know how to tie a snow, know how to rig a bobber. They wanted to hire me because they wanted to, you know, maybe learn a little more than they already know or, um, what I like to call being in the business of selling secrets, maybe learn a few holes that they've never fished before, or, you know, they live in the Midwest, say Minnesota, Iowa, God forbid, Illinois, but I do have, uh, several customers from, from, uh, Illinois and they're all great. Um, they don't have steel tributaries down there. So I will take three, but it's tough. I try, I try at, at all costs to keep it to two. Um, it's the same, um, it's the same rate for a half day or a full day for one guy up to three guys. I, I don't, um, take four, obviously at, uh, if I did, Rates might change, but I, I keep everything the same for, you know, whether you got one guy or three guys, half a day or a full day. Good enough. Well, it sounds like uh, you have a few OKS fishers that fish with you if you're digging bobbers out of trees and dealing with snapped off gear. Uh, that they, they kind Including of... myself. <laughs> so <laughs> what you're saying is, is you've had a few OKS fisher moments in your life. <laughs> oh definitely i i had several okayest fishing moments fisher moments today alone yeah I, I had a pretty rough day myself my buddy was you know next to me all day long just wiping the floor with me um and it always it's just one of those things it, it happens on those best days and you're just i i don't get ate up by it like I did years ago, you know. It's supposed to blow 30, 35, 40 miles an hour tomorrow. I'm probably going to go fishing. And tomorrow I could have, you know, I personally could catch 15 to 20 fish myself. When when today I, I landed one, I hooked, I don't know, a dozen. I snapped off three of them, I think. Um. It's just how it goes. Everybody's got some okayest fisher in them, no matter your your skill level or how long you've been doing it or what you do. Awesome. Well, I think we're uh, we're kind of getting to that point now where it's coming to the end of the episode. The music plays. The music plays, and. Pat just teed it up perfect for us. I mean, that was an excellent story about everybody does have the okayest fisher in them. You just got to be willing. Everyone does. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you got to be willing to just let it out. <laughs> and I, I won't ever put it that way, but I've, I've always tried to stress that to everybody that fishes with me too. Fair enough. Well, just don't feel bad about yourself. Just, just keep keep doing what you're doing that's great advice perfect way to end the episode yes well thanks everybody well, for um, uh... yeah it's been a pleasure uh thank you guys for having me you bet 
we'll uh, we'll definitely have to chat again soon. Thanks for Certainly. tuning in, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>